We're going to be in Psalm 23 this morning, so if you want to take out your message notes, they are in the bulletin. If you are joining us online, the host can tell you where those notes are. But uh, we'll be in Psalm 23. So uh, beginning really in mid-November of last year, I began what would become a really long season of feeling worn, just totally worn. And I'm not talking about the kind of worn that makes you feel just like a little spread too thin. Maybe I'm just committed to too many things. I'm talking about the kind of worn that makes you feel like you don't have anything left to give. And probably you didn't have really anything to, be, anything to give to begin with. It was the kind of tired that left me physically, spiritually, and emotionally drained. I went through a cycle of where it was a couple months where I was just sick off and on continually. I went through a cycle where I had trouble sleeping. I still have trouble sleeping. I went through a cycle where my eye twitched continually. You know, these are all symptoms of a super healthy life, right? And I would willingly wager that I'm probably not alone in this type of situation. Uh, life is tough, and sometimes it's disappointing. Sometimes it feels unnecessarily difficult. And we all have our own journeys. We all have our own experiences. We all have our own times of personal pain. But I think that at times, this feeling of being worn is universal. And I promise I am not saying this to bum you guys out. I don't want to get up here and be like, life is depressing and it's really hard. That's not the goal here. I just want to acknowledge that there are seasons in life that are just tough. And you have to push through. And one of the things that I have learned during this last season, and have actually experienced this, is that through these seasons that just last so long and are so hard, the Lord just shows up. He shows up to care for us in the midst of this time. And about a year ago, I started thinking about Psalm 23. And uh, we all know Psalm 23. I think everybody knows Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. It is probably the most universally quoted psalm in the history, actually probably the most universally quoted scripture in the history of scripture. I mean, even Hollywood love Psalm 23. We see it show up all the time in war movies, uh, death scenes, people hiding from ghosts. It just shows up. Uh, so I, I don't want to be a little facetious here, but I'm making the point that we all know this passage. And I actually, for a long time, didn't like it because it was, I was just like, I know what it says. I know what it says. It's fine. But a year ago, I really started thinking about this psalm. But it was really just the first line of this psalm. It was actually just the first part of the first line. The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. And I couldn't get past. And I think it was for a reason. Because during this past season of difficulty and pain and sorrow, he really has been my shepherd. He has shown up to care for me in surprising ways. And a lot of it has been through you guys. But he has revealed that A, he knows where I am. B, he knows what I need. And C, he is unfailing in his care and presence. 
Psalm 23 is a psalm of comfort, yes. And I think we often use it as a token of comfort for ourselves because of all the things that the Lord does in the psalm. But this psalm is really a psalm of confidence. It is, it is, it is the total absence of fear. It is a proclamation of who the Lord is in his character. So we're going to take a deep dive into this psalm today. Because if you feel like this is something that I know what it says, I've heard sermons about it before, ignore it. Don't ignore it. It's fine. Like, you can learn stuff. It's fine. But what I'm saying is we're going to learn something new today, something new. My prayer has been that something new would be revealed to you about who the Lord is. So we're going to take a deep dive because I'm sure I'm not the only one who needs to be surprised by what the Lord is saying. Uh, sometimes, not all of the time because it takes forever, but sometimes I like to take a look at what the Hebrew text says of a certain passage. And I, I just want to get a good idea of what is being said there. And I'm not saying this to be like, I know Hebrew. Huh? It's hard, it's boring, and it takes a long time. But sometimes we become so familiar with what the English says, we internalize that instead of maybe internalizing what's really being said. So I took a deep dive in the Hebrew. And this morning, I want to present to you, you'll see this in your bulletin notes. It'll be on the screen. We're not using your standard English translations. We're using Julia's translation of Psalm 23. And I promise I don't deter much from the English that we all know and love. Uh, but I think this is going to help us form a more full picture of what's being said here. So let's take a look at the text. Verse 1, the Lord is my shepherd. I will not lack, be empty, do without. In pastures of fresh grass, he causes me to lie down. To waters of rest, he guides me. He helps me along. He leads carefully. He restores, he brings back to ideal condition my soul, my life, myself. In paths of righteousness, rightness, just, justness, justice, he leads me, he guides me, he helps me along for the sake of his name. Even when I walk in a valley of deep shadow, death shadow, deep darkness, I will not fear evil, distress, calamity, misery, adversity, injury, or wrong. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff comfort, they console me. You arrange a table in front of me in the sight of those who are hostile, in a state of conflict. You anoint my head in oil, my cup overflows. It's saturated, it's overabundant. Surely good and steadfast love, your loving kindness will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will dwell, I will remain, I will sit in the house of the Lord forever, for all of my days. See, no heresy. We're okay. But before we get into act to the actual verses, there are a few things I want to set up so we're all on the same page before we, before we jump in. So Psalm 23 is actually a psalm of King David, and we've been spending a lot of time with David recently um, in his world, learning about his life. And this, it's just fitting that this psalm would be written by him. And it's generally believed that it was written Later in his life, when he's well-established in his kingship in the land, the kingdom of Israel is experiencing relative peace and security. And there are a few things that we need to understand about what a shepherd is. So David is actually speaking from experience about being a shepherd. He was a shepherd before he was anointed king. 
and probably a little bit longer after that. A shepherd's job was to spend 24-7 with his sheep. He was the caregiver. He was the leader. He was the one that provided nourishment. He was the one that provided protection. He was the one that was present to help if there was injury or if there, it was lambing season and he needed to be present for that. He knew how many sheep there were. He knew how each sheep was doing. It was his job to pay attention to the condition of the sheep. It was also his livelihood. So the, the welfare of the flock dependent, was dependent on the shepherd, and his livelihood was dependent upon how well he was taking care of the flock. We also need to understand the truth about sheep. And I'm sorry to say that often in the Bible, we as people are referred to as sheep because it's kind of sad. Sheep are weak, they are defenseless, they are not super bright. A noted theologian and author, James Montgomery Boyce, once said that no other class of livestock needs more careful handling than sheep. They can't help it. They function according to their nature. They're not born and say, I choose to be dumb for the rest of my life. That's not how it is. They just function according to their nature. So this is the picture that David is working from when he writes this psalm. When he says, the Lord is my shepherd. Oh, yeah, there it is. We'll come back to that. Don't worry. Um, in David's mind, when he says, the Lord is my shepherd, he is assuming the role of the sheep. And he is saying that the shepherd is the Lord. But the translation, even though I translated it this way, the English translates it this way, the actual word there is Yahweh. It's the Lord's proper name, Yahweh. He says, Yahweh is my shepherd. And Yahweh is the divine name of God. It is the name that was revealed to Moses in Exodus 3 when Moses said, they're going to ask me who sent me, what do I tell them? And he says, you tell them I am sent you. And I am became Yahweh. It is used in the Old Testament 4,000 times. It is the personal name of God. And it is literally translated I will be what I will be. That's the name of God. I will be what I will be. So David is not saying God is my shepherd. He says Yahweh is my shepherd. So the God who has always been, who will always be. The God of every situation. The God who answers only to himself. The God who is timeless, inexhaustible, and self-sufficient. That's who he says is my shepherd. So again, David is, is assuming the role of the sheep. He's the one who needs constant care and guidance. And he is attributing to the Lord the role as shepherd, the one who is in charge. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. The entirety of this passage, everything else that follows, is dependent upon that first line. This psalm is about David recognizing who the Lord is. Yes, it has a lot of comforting things that we can hold on to for ourselves because of who the Lord is. But this is really a psalm about God. It's a psalm about him. It's a psalm of praise as to who the Lord is and what he does. So David's next idea, this idea of I will not lack, is rooted in the confidence of that first phrase. Yahweh is my shepherd, therefore I lack nothing. Everything else that follows is the how. So that's where we're, we're going to jump in. How? 
How is the Lord my shepherd? How will I not lack? And the first thing is, I will not lack because the shepherd provides. And we see this provision in verses 2 and 3. First in verse 2, it says, In pastures of fresh grass, he causes me to lie down. To waters of rest, he guides me. Now, keep in mind that sheep are not super bright animals. They will overgraze an area if left to their own devices. So it is up to the shepherd to keep the flock moving from pasture to pasture while also maintaining close distance to a good, wa- a good place of water, for good water. So if the shepherd doesn't know where he's going, if the shepherd is not moving the sheep like he ought to be, everything's going to go south really quickly. Philip Keller is a pastor who spent eight years learning how to care for sheep. Um, and after his experience, he wrote a devotional about just like sharing about what he learned about sheep. And in that devotional, he talks about how sheep are really fearful animals. They will not lay down and they will not rest if they feel like they have anything to worry about. They literally have to have nothing to worry about. They don't have to worry about food. They don't have to worry about water. They don't have to worry about predators. They don't have to worry about friction amongst themselves if they're packed in, if there is no space. The conditions have to be absolutely right for a sheep to truly rest. There is no threat. There is no conflict. There is no scarcity. Then a sheep will rest. And only a shepherd can ensure this type of environment for a sheep. It's his responsibility to make sure that the flock has what they truly need. And they trust him to do that. So when David says, you lead me to these places where I can rest, he is saying that the shepherd is providing ideal conditions. I have what I need so that I can be where I am. We, ought, we live in a world that has a really skewed view of what lack and want truly mean. We often believe that we lack just because we don't have something that we want. And to be honest, this has actually been a really hard lesson for me to learn. I'm 35. I'm not married. I don't have children. I often view this as lack. There are often other people who view this as lack for me, so it's a tough place to be. I can't win. <laughs> um, and it's, but it's hard to rest when I spend so much time worried about something else. But again, this has been an ongoing lesson for several years because I keep getting older and I keep feeling like my life is lacking. In 2016, I started this job here at Eagle. And it was also the year that I bought my very first house. It was a really big year. It was a really exciting year. And even in the midst of all of these really exciting things happening, I was still wrapped up in all the things that had not happened. The Lord had to get a hold of me in a very clear way. And one day when I was lamenting about all the things that I did not have, all the things that I needed, and all the whys of why I needed it, the Lord said very clearly, who takes care of you? And that made me pause. But he didn't stop there. He said, who is the one who led you to your job? I've talked about this before on stage, but I found this job through Monster.com. I applied for this job through Monster.com. Nobody hires through Monster. The Lord does. He said, who is the one who opened the way for your house? I found my house because the realtor took us to the wrong place. 
we went to the wrong house. We're standing on the porch. And I was like, Mom, this is not the right house. And she's like, no, it's not. And it was, and it was a really cute house. And we loved it immediately. But there was already an accepted offer on it. They were in the inspection phase. We put in an offer anyway. And it was the Lord who opened the way, who gave me favor with financing. I still don't know why they gave me all that money. <laughs> he has provided thing after thing, moment after moment, even the small things. I have, there's a picture of my dog. Do you have that? Can you throw that up on screen? No, it's okay. It's all right. So I didn't want, I just thought I wanted a dog. I didn't want a dog. I had this terrible experience with like a, a foster situation. And after that, I was like, no dogs, I can't. And then this little dog shows up. She's not little. She's a beefy girl. But she sh showed up. And it was what I needed. And he just went through moment by moment. Who provides for you? Who takes care of you? Who has been the one that has given you all that you have? What do you need from anyone else? Everything that you have is from me. Everything that you have, I have provided. I have been the one that has cared for you. I have been the one that has opened doors for you. I am the one who makes things possible. Everything you have is from me. Everything that you will have will be from me. Do not be afraid of what you fear you lack. You lack nothing. And that was a very real come to Jesus moment for me. Because it's true. I lack nothing. It's not about perceived want or what I think I should have or what others think I should have or what others think you should have. It is about the Lord saying, what have I given you? Be where you are. I spend so much time in a state of anxiety, refusing to rest where I am because I get so worked up about perceived need. And it's not real. Do not miss out on the blessing of where you are because you're afraid about what you lack. What David is saying here is you give me what I need so that I can rest where I am. I can be where you have led me. And this idea is carried on in verse 3. It says, He restores my soul in paths of righteousness. He leads me for the sake of his name. The shepherd does not just provide ideal conditions. He also provides life. Can you put up that image of a sheep again? That upside-down sheep? <laughs> um, so when a sheep gets too fluffy... Maybe he's a little on the fat side, or maybe he hasn't been shorn in a long time, or maybe it just lays down in an area that's not level, and it gets kind of in a divot. As it struggles to get up, because they've got those little tiny stick legs and that big round body, he struggles to get up. It just works him further and further over on his back. And the longer he's there, so it's a funny picture. I mean, you can't look at that picture and be like, that's silly and ridiculous. But that, he, like, he could die in a matter of hours. Because in that position, gases get built up in the body, and it could kill him. It could kill that sheep. So a good shepherd has to be aware of what's going on with his sheep. He is going to have the tools, in this case arms, to get that thing right, right side up. But he's also going to have the tools to clear the, gases of the, to clear the body of the gases that have built up. It's really an interesting process. They poke a hole, and it all comes out. It's... It's not growth. I don't know how to explain it. Anyway, they have the tools to, to get, the, get out of the body the things that don't need to be there. What David is saying here is that the Lord, as shepherd, is the only one 
who is capable of restoring him to ideal conditions. The idea of soul in the Old Testament is just another word for self. Your soul is yourself. C.S. Lewis said that you don't have a soul, you are a soul. There is no, the soul is the seat of your life. The spiritual and physical restoration of the, of the soul are often needed because that is the who of who you are. The moments when you feel tired or weary, just beyond physically being tired, are reflections of the state of your soul. And more often than not, we shut that down for emotionally tired, spiritually tired. We don't think about that in terms of our soul. What I appreciate about recent times is that the idea of soul care is becoming more and more prevalent. But we can't just relegate soul care to the spiritual side of life because your soul is who you are and needs to be cared for. And the Lord is the only one who can restore it to its proper state. He is the only one who can revive from sorrow. He is the only one who can redeem from the effects of sin. He is the only one who can strengthen weakness. He can provide you what you need to be flipped upright again, to keep moving forward in life, to be the sheep you're supposed to be. And because we often need this type of care, this, this um, provision of life, this provision of good uh, resources, he also provides guidance to help us maintain this life. And we see this in, in um, verse 3. Sheep will easily wander, even from the best shepherd, even from the best pastures and the greatest water, to the worst places, the most barren land with no water at all. Do you remember the quote from the beginning that no other class of livestock needs more careful handling than sheep? I want you to note the term careful. Because when we talk about sheep, we talk about how dumb they are and it's funny, huh? But we are sheep. And the Lord never looks at us and thinks, why are you so dumb? That's not how he functions. Because a good shepherd does not hate his flock. They're not a burden to him. And he knows their limitations. That's why he's there. They can't take care of themselves. They're acting according to their nature. He knows what they need. He has compassion for them because they cannot take care of themselves. That is a good shepherd. Sheep are dumb. Yes, they can't help it. And the shepherd knows that and has compassion for them and cares for them anyway. He also knows that if anything happens to his sheep, it's his reputation and his livelihood that are at stake. No one's going to come up and be like, man, what a bunch of dumb sheep. Your sheep are like failing. They're going to look at him and be like, dude, do your job. His reputation is at stake here. And that's why it says, you lead me in paths of righteousness for the sake of your name. Because it's about him. It's his reputation that's on the line. The Lord sets out the way we should go because we need that guidance. And not just a general path, like just, just go that way, you'll be fine. But specifically in paths of righteousness, in ways of right living. He, it's the idea, the term path here is the idea of like a clearly defined track. You're not hacking your way through the wilderness. 
You have to blaze a trail. It's marked for you. It's the idea of a well-traveled road that has been placed in your way. And he sets that out before us. This is the way to live in justice. This is the way to live in righteousness. This is the way to see justness happen in life. He provides guidance in the way we should go. And he provides guidance for our benefit because our condition reflects on him. And sometimes we do get off track, and that's okay. It's where we see beautiful pictures in the gospel of the, sh- the shepherd who leaves the flock to go find the one that's gone off track. Sometimes we wander away in pursuit of something totally different, in pursuit of something else, but we are never too far off the path that we can't be brought back, that he won't go out looking for you to help you find the way. That's what the shepherd does. And sometimes the directions that the Lord leads us are not always bright and cheery. But that does not make them any less the right path. And remember that David's confidence is rooted in in who the shepherd is and his provision, his proven provision, because we're about to jump into verse 4 and things take a turn. So verse 4, even when I walk in a valley of deep shadow, I will not fear evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Valleys of deep darkness are not an if, they're a when. David says, even when, it's an anticipated journey. And it's one in which the shepherd protects. So we see him provide life. And we see him provide guidance. And we see him provide good living conditions. But now we see him step into a role of protector. Every year, a shepherd would lead his flock from the lowlands in winter up to the high tablelands in the summer. And this, this journey would require going through valleys like this. Now, predators may not be a huge deal in the world that we live in today. We don't go outside and we're afraid a bear might jump out of nowhere, unless you're in the mountains or unless you're in the ocean. Sharks are very real. So there are predators. I don't want to just like get rid of predators altogether. But it's not as serious as it was back in the times when David is writing this. He actually talks about having to fight off a lion from his flock or fighting off a bear. And leading through valleys like this, valleys of deep shadow, there are lots of places for predators to hide, to jump out, to surprise attack. So the shepherd has to be aware of these potential dangers, and he has to be equipped with weapons to fight. But there are some important things to notice, because even though the journey gets a little treacherous, there are a couple changes that happen here. The first is that the he, when referencing the shepherd in verses 1 through 3, becomes you. David no longer says he, he, he says you are with me. And leads, as he was talking about the shepherd before, you lead me here, you guide me this way, becomes with. It's personal now. The shepherd is no longer ahead to lead, but he's journeying alongside to escort and protect. He is present and he is armed. It is his job to stand between the predator and its prey, and he is the only one who can protect the flock. He's the only one equipped to do so. So what David is saying here is that I don't have to be afraid of evil that may come my way. 
And evil, when used in the Old Testament context, and we see this in the translation, is not the same type of evil that we think of today. It's kind of an all-encompassing distress, calamity, wrong, injury, all kinds of things. And David says, I don't have to be afraid of any of it because I'm not alone. But sometimes we feel alone, right? Sometimes the shepherd's presence is not as easily felt as it is when things are sunny and bright and cheerful. And we feel like it's up to us to fight our way and find our way through these valleys alone. The word for deep shadow here is also used in Job. Job uses this term, and he describes it as darkness, where even the light is darkness. It's, it's overwhelming darkness. It's darkness that feels like it won't ever end. And as I mentioned earlier, I, the first part of this year was just really tough. It was really tough for me. It was really, really hard. And I don't have to describe to you what moments like this feel like because you've either been through them yourself and you know you're going through it right now and it's all too real or you haven't experienced it yet and you'll know it when you get there. Oh, this is about Hmm. But each one is personal, and each one is painful, and each one, there is significant sorrow, and they last too long. One afternoon back in April, it had been a particularly rough day, and I was still at work, and a friend stopped by my office to tell me have a good weekend, and she was on her way home, and she knew something was wrong, and I didn't tell her anything, and she said, uh, I just want to say, you don't have to tell me anything, but this morning, as I was getting ready to leave the house, I did a mental and spiritual check and asked if there was, I asked the Lord if there was anything I was forgetting. And he told me, you need to pray for Julia. And she told me that. I said, he told you that, and I burst into tears. It did not end the situation I was in. It did not change anything. Life did not all of the sudden get easier for me. But it reminded me that I wasn't alone. That the Lord saw me and he knew what I needed in that moment to just ease the darkness a little bit. And I think he does that and so often we don't pay attention to the ways that he cares for us, but he shows up in these ways, often through each other, to say, to give us those glimpses of, this isn't going to kill you. This isn't going to crush you. I see where you are. Let's keep moving. Just keep moving a little bit longer, a little bit further. I'll give you what you need to keep going. And he does that. It's tempting to give up in the valley of deep shadow. It lasts too long. It's often too brutal. But don't give up. Don't stop there. Pay attention to what the Lord is doing because he stands between you and what threatens you. He has the tools to protect you, to encourage you, and to keep you moving. And he often does it through us too well. So if you ever feel like, don't, well, don't ever be afraid to encourage someone. That should just be a given. But if you ever feel like the Lord is putting on your heart somebody by name, pray for them. Encourage them. Reach out to them. Because I will never forget that moment. It was so small. 
But the moment she said, he told me to pray for you, I knew that I wasn't alone, and he was bringing other people into the game. And it changed everything. Don't give up. Because the journey doesn't end in the valley. More than that, there are good things waiting on the other side. Let's look at the next verse. Verse 5. You arrange a table in front of me in the sight of those who are hostile. You anoint my head in oil, my cup overflows. What we see here is triumph. What we see here is infinite resources in the worst of situations. He uses the term, my cup overflows. It is saturated. It's overabundant. Now, good poetry often has double meaning. So even though it seems like we're losing the sheep imagery, I don't want you to forget about sheep. Because this could be picturing a banqueting table after, a conquer, after you've conquered an enemy. Or it could represent the high table lands that the sheep were journeying through, through the valley. Either way, it works. This table was the goal all along. And this table is where the shepherd was leading. A good shepherd removes physical hazards from the land, poisonous plants, is aware of the terrain. He drives away predators. Now, the predator is not totally gone forever. They're still out there lurking somewhere. But he, the shepherd knows the ways of the enemy. He is aware of what the enemy is doing. But because it is his concern, the sheep are free to graze and rest and be where they've been led or participate in the feast at hand because the enemy has been subdued. Shepherds will often put oil on the heads of their sheep to, uh, as a deterrent for bugs. Because without protection, bugs could get into the nose of a sheep, they could lay eggs, and then the larva would eventually drive the sheep insane. So there was this common mixture of oil and sulfur and spices that the shepherd would use to protect the sheep from pests. Oil was also used in, banquet, in banquets because in the ancient Near East, it's dry, it's dusty. When people show up at your house, their skin is dry and chapped. And oil would revive the complexion. It would restore their countenance. Wine would clear the throat. So verse 5 is really a picture of victory and celebration provided by the shepherd who has ensured the way. The shepherd knew where he was going all along, and he knew how to get there. He knew what was waiting on the other side. And ultimately, and I want you to take this with you, ultimately, it's not up to the flock to worry about. We spend so much time worrying about the things that are not our concern to worry about. Because the Lord knows. He's got it. He says, just be where I am. Be where I've led you. I know everything else that's going on. It's not yours to worry about. So we'll go ahead and have the worship team come back up. And we will close with this. So the shepherd provides and the shepherd protects. But finally, the shepherd pursues. We see this in verse 6. So surely good and steadfast love will pursue me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord all of my days. Many English translations use the word mercy. It says goodness and mercy. And, this, and I just don't agree. I don't agree. Uh, mercy is part of what's happening here, but it's not the full picture. The actual word is the Hebrew term. You've probably heard it. It's pretty common. It's the word chesed. Can you guys say that? Chesed. You got to get that. He practice your Hebrew. Chesed. 
And it's the term for love used in the Old Testament specifically when talking about the love of God. It's his covenant love. It's God's unending love. The Lord is the only one capable of this kind of love. It's the love that shows up every time. It's the love that never fails and never runs out. It is unwavering love. It is enduring love. It is continued kindness and support. It's dependable. It's active. It pursues. Hesed is what motivates the shepherd and motivates his actions. Hesed is what invites us into his presence so that we can dwell with him all of our days. Hesed is what provides and guides and restores us. It's Hesed that protects. It does not end. It does not run out. It is what motivates the shepherd to leave the flock for the one that's gone missing. It's this love that restores what has been broken. David's life was not easy. And we've, we've been learning that. He experienced significant disappointment and loss. Significant heartache and failure. Several of his kids go totally off the rails. He's experienced sorrow and discouragement. It was not easy. And he still could say, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. So wherever you are this morning, Maybe it is embracing what you have and not being afraid of what you feel you lack. Maybe it's pushing forward in a valley of deep shadow that threatens to overwhelm you. Or maybe it's celebrating a hard-won victory because the Lord has pulled you through that time and delivered you to a banqueting table. Whatever the situation is, I want to take a moment together to acknowledge who our shepherd is. And because of that, we don't have to be afraid. It's not ours to worry about. So we're going to pray. But go ahead and stand. Let's stand together. Lord, we thank you that you see us, that you know us, that we're never out of your sight. You know every moment, you know what we need. Thank you that you meet us where we are, that you stand between us and our enemy, that you have what, you, what we need to be restored, to be led. Lord, help us to recognize our dependence on you, to stop striving against you, to receive what you have given us, to be where we are, and to rest because we trust you. We trust your proven presence, your proven guidance, and your proven love. We thank you for what you are doing, for what you have done, for what you will do. We love you.